Our text for this morning is Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 15, and this is the Word of God. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel... They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Will you pray with me? Lord, we have sung songs of great joy and hope and life. And now your word gives us the ultimate for joy and hope and life. And I pray, God, that you will do your mighty work in our hearts, that we might know, that we might believe, that we might be saved that we might rejoice in you. Be glorified. Do your work. We yield to you. In Christ's holy name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. This is a good day. You know why? Because we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know what we call that day? We call it Sunday because Jesus rose from the grave. That's why the church meets on Sunday. And yes, this is the day when many around the world especially remember the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And that's fine too. This is a great day. Today in the word of God, we see the beginning of the climactic conclusion of Matthew's recording of the life of Jesus Today, we see part of the single greatest, most important happening in the history of the universe. Today, we see an event that changed 
the world, today we see the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know the Bible's story, you need to know this. Jesus is the Son of God who came to earth to accomplish the ultimate plan of God. Jesus told us he would die as a sacrifice to save the souls of the children of God. And Jesus told us he would rise from the grave on the third day. Well, in our past couple of sermons, we saw that Jesus died on a cross just as he promised. And while on the cross, God the Father punished Jesus for the sins of others just as he promised. And Jesus' dead body was placed in a tomb and soldiers were set to guard that tomb so nobody could take that body out. And now in our reading, it is Sunday morning. Friday was day number one. Saturday was day number two, and now it's Sunday. Now it's day number three. Now it's the day Jesus promised he would come back from the dead. And all of salvation history hinges on what Jesus does this day. So let's study together. Let's find five points as we watch this beautiful story unfold. Are you ready for point number one? First point. Properly fear holiness. Number one, properly fear holiness. Look at the first four verses. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. It is, it is early on Sunday morning. Matthew tells us that two of the ladies named Mary went to the tomb. If you put the other gospel stories together, you'll find other ladies with these ladies. And they left for the tomb while it was still dark, and they seemed to arrive around daybreak. And these ladies were bringing with them spices to anoint the body of of Jesus. They knew Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had done anointing of the body on Friday at least as best they could. But but these ladies also, I'm sure, knew that it was a pretty rushed job that these men had done on Friday evening between 3 and 6 in the afternoon. So these women go because they want to honor Jesus. They go because they want to to, to, to finish the job. And if you don't understand the whole anointing thing, don't worry about that. It's just part of the burial custom of the day. But do note this. These ladies are carrying spices to anoint the body. You know what that means? These ladies fully expected to find the body, the dead body of Jesus in that tomb. Even though Jesus predicted he would rise from the grave, even though the Jewish leaders understood that Jesus predicted he would arise on the third day, these women did not have that in mind. And that indicates to us that these women who were part of Jesus' ministry from the very beginning, these women who were close to the disciples, I can tell you what, they were not dreaming up any sort of scheme to fake a resurrection. It wasn't in their minds. 
Well, as the women were going to the tomb, you can only imagine what might have been in their minds. On Friday afternoon, these women watched with their own eyes Jesus die. Jesus was the one in whom they had placed their hope. And Jesus was brutally executed, unjustly murdered. And these women had to be deeply sorrowful and very confused. Logistically, as these women went to the tomb, they wondered, how are we going to be able to do what we have come to do? Because these women were not strong enough to move away this great big stone from the mouth of the tomb. And then Matthew tells us about something that happened that the women didn't see. There was a great earthquake. You know, even if you don't do Greek, you'll like this. Megas seismos. You guys can do that on your own, can't you? It's a big one. Last time we saw an earthquake, it accompanied the death of Jesus on the cross. This time, the earthquake accompanies something else supernatural. There's an angel from God who comes down, lands on the earth, rolls the stone away, and then, I love it, took a seat on the stone to wait for the women to arrive. It just strikes me funny that he sat down. And Matthew describes the appearance of the angel in his clothing with words of brilliant white light. The angel, he's got the appearance of a man. He he and his clothes shine. Why? I know that may seem like a silly question, but you've got to get this. Why would he shine? The only possible explanation here is that the Lord is allowing holiness to shine through. This angelic being has never sinned. He has been in the presence of Almighty God and shining with glory, shining with holiness is exactly what is noticeable about him. And the effect of his holiness on others, the the reflected holiness from God off of the angel, if you will, it's pretty fascinating. At the end of chapter 27, you remember the Jewish leaders set a group of soldiers at the tomb to guard the tomb. They wanted to be sure nobody came and steals the body of Jesus out of that tomb. They're going to stop that from happening. So Saturday through early Sunday, these soldiers were on guard duty. And when the soldiers saw the angel, two things happened. First, they trembled. Really, you could translate it that they quaked. With fear, it's a very similar Greek word to the word for earthquake earlier. So we had an earthquake, and then we had a guard quake. And they were so terrified that they became like dead men. They looked like they had been scared to death, and they passed out. And here, we get a point. Properly fear holiness. You know the one thing the guards do, right? Is that they trembled at the sight of something that showed them a glimpse 
of the holiness of God. And it is right for any of us to tremble at the concept of holiness. See, that angel was there to represent God, to do some work. That angel is holy. But, you know what's more important than the fact that that angel was reflecting some holiness? Even more important is the fact that the God who made us is not just holy. He is, as we sang earlier today, holy, holy, holy. You've got to know what that means or you miss what Christianity is about. The word holy means sacred, set apart, a cut above everything else. When you speak of the holiness of God, you're speaking of the fact that God is different than all of the rest of creation. I mean, after all, God is creator, which means unlike everything else, God is not created. God is infinite. All else is finite. God is perfect. All of us are stained by sin. God is infinitely pure and infinitely greater than you and me in every possible way. And the reason that this is scary is because we're sinners. When a sinful human being sees himself in comparison to holiness, our proper response is to shiver with fear. Like thin Dry tissue paper getting near a flame. We know that the holiness of God should utterly destroy us in our imperfections. And if you want to get the whole message of the Bible right, you have to start with this concept. God is holy. We are sinners. And if we are left alone, those facts would lead only to our complete and utter destruction. Sin deserves the full wrath of God. And we as sinners deserve a punishment from God that is equal to the greatness of God's perfection. We deserve infinite wrath. We deserve hell. That is why holiness should make us tremble. Well, there was a little reflected holiness off this angel, and that was enough to make tough soldiers fall down like dead men. What's going to happen when the women arrive and talk to the angel? Point number two. Rejoice, Jesus is alive. Rejoice, Jesus is alive. Look at verse 5 and 6. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. So the women get to the tomb. How strange must this sight that meets their eyes be? 
The guards are flattened. The big stone is rolled away. And a holy angel from God, shining like lightning, is sitting on the stone. And then he talks to them. And the first thing the angel says is for them not to be afraid. Why do you think he needed to say that? Anybody want to guess? Why did the angel need to say, don't be afraid? Because they were afraid. (laughs) They were naturally afraid. Because the proper response to holiness is fear. But the angel wants to assure the women, hey, I'm here to be a help to you, not to bring the judgment of God you deserve on you. And the angel has already helped the women by rolling the stone away so the women could look into the tomb. No, no, the angel did not roll the stone away to let Jesus out. No closed door, no sealed tomb can keep the the resurrected Lord Jesus from going anywhere he wants. But the women... These women would have never been able to see inside the tomb without the stone being moved, so the angel moved it. And the angel knows the women are looking for Jesus. Notice what he says about Jesus, who was crucified. Yes, Jesus was really crucified. Don't buy any theory that would say anything otherwise. Yes, Jesus really died. Yes, Jesus had really been buried in that particular tomb, but now Jesus was not there. Why? Here is the point. This is the single most important truth you can ever hear. This is the most important truth in the gospel according to Matthew. It is the most important truth in scripture. It is the most important truth ever. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive right now. Jesus lived a life of perfect obedience to the law of God. He lived such holiness and righteousness that his righteousness could please God the Father and it could earn his entrance into heaven. And Jesus died. Literally, physically, really, he died. Even though Jesus had never sinned and thus Jesus never deserved to die. And in his death, Jesus paid the penalty for the sins of others, just like a sacrificial lamb. And then on Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus literally, physically, really came back to life. Had Jesus remained in the grave, All faith in Jesus or devotion to Jesus would be empty, foolish, and meaningless. If Jesus is dead and you follow him, you're a moron. I'm a moron. A pitiable idiot. But because Jesus has risen from the grave... We know he is exactly who he claimed to be, God the Son. We know that the holiness and justice of God was fully satisfied with Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. 
Because Jesus is alive, we know he has the authority and the ability to give us genuine forgiveness for our sins because of his perfect life and his sacrificial death. And because Jesus is alive, we can know that everyone forgiven by Jesus has the promise of living after we die, living eternally with him in brand new resurrection bodies that will never wear out. Listen to these words inspired by God in 1 Corinthians 15, 17 and following. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Or in Acts 17, 30 and 31. Now God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. God is clear. If Jesus is dead, Christianity is useless. But if Jesus is alive, that's the proof of everything Christ claimed. And I tell you, Jesus is alive. The angel told the women, Jesus is alive. The word of God tells all, Jesus is alive. And now God calls all people everywhere, commands all people everywhere to repent and believe to be saved. So if you're hearing this and you don't yet know the forgiveness of God in Jesus, let me offer you a word of life. As we said earlier, God is holy, we are sinful, and thus we deserve the judgment of God. But the good news is that Jesus came to this earth and he lived a perfect life, the perfection that you and I are required to live but we've never lived up to. And then Jesus died to pay the price for the sins of others. And Jesus stood up and Jesus walked out of the grave. And Jesus is alive right now. Jesus conquered death. And that is the proof that everyone who comes to Jesus for life is going to be forgiven. This is God's promise. So if you want life, repent and believe. How do you do that? First, realize that you are a sinner. Is that really hard? No, we're all guilty. But realize that your sin would destroy you. Your sin earns the wrath of God for you. It earns the wrath of God for anybody. And let that lead you to want out of your sin. Let that lead you to want a different life. Let that lead you to want God to be your master instead of you mastering yourself. 
and lay your life down at the feet of a God who is just, but who is also kind, gracious, and more loving than you could ever possibly imagine. And believe. Believe in Jesus. Believe he lived perfection. Believe he died to pay for your sins. Believe he is alive. Believe that he will forgive even someone like you. Then, humble yourself enough to confess to Jesus that you're a sinner. Ask Jesus to forgive you because of his completed work. Ask Jesus to save you and make you into a child of God. And God will save your very soul. And when you're saved, when you're forgiven by God in Jesus Christ, then you have reason to rejoice because Jesus is alive. He lives. And because he lives, you will live too. This is cause for genuine celebration every Sunday. Third point this morning. Third point. Still awake? All right. Third point. Share the good news. Share the good news. Look at seven through eight. The angel still speaking says, Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So the angel tells the women, Once you're done looking into the tomb and seeing for yourself that the tomb is empty, hurry, run, and go tell Jesus' disciples. Because those men need to know Jesus is alive. Probably, by the way, a word specific for the 11 faithful. But this is a message not just for the 11 disciples that remain, is it? This is a message for all sorts of other men in Jerusalem at this time. Who else needs to know that Jesus is alive? Joseph of Arimathea needs to know. Nicodemus needs to know. Lazarus needs to know. Whoever owned the upper room needs to know. And so many more. Zacchaeus needs to know, right? Well, over the next week, Jesus is going to meet in and around Jerusalem with a few of the disciples in very small, closed settings. But the word is supposed to go out to all the disciples, all the followers of Jesus, and they're supposed to go to Galilee where they're going to have a larger gathering to meet with Jesus. So the women look in the tomb. They believe. The angel says, now, I want to check the box here. I told you what I was supposed to tell you. And then the women run to tell others. They run with fear and great joy. What a great combination, right? They're still trembling after meeting the angel, but they're overjoyed by the fact that Jesus lives. So the job of these women, the job of these First people to hear about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And again, you got to love it, don't you? Matthew says, we've got a single woman and a married woman who are the first two people to hear about Jesus, and they're going to go tell. They are supposed to take the message that Jesus is alive to others. 
Now, do you know what we call it when a believer in Jesus carries the good news of Jesus to others? What do we call that? We call that evangelism. Telling the good news is literally what evangelism means, right? The the word evangel is good news. Evangelism is to carry the good news to others. Here we see that evangelism, sharing the good news, is the first thing believers are told to do once they find out Jesus is alive. So Christians, share the good news. It should become a natural part of knowing that Jesus is alive that you would tell other people Jesus is alive. Again, do do you all think the Christian message is really that complicated? Mankind stands under judgment for sin against God. Jesus came to rescue people for God. Jesus died to save sinners. Jesus rose in victory. Jesus is alive. Come to Jesus to be forgiven. Christians, you can share that message. Christians, that's a good message. That is good news. This is great news. This is our news to tell the world. And we, like those two women, need to take it to the world. So Christians, ask yourself, maybe this week even, who can I remind, who can I tell this week Jesus is alive and why it matters? Who could you tell? How could you make it known? Why not honor God by sharing the good news? Fourth point, worship Jesus. Worship Jesus. Jesus. 9 through 10. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings! And they came up and took, a, took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Now, when you see a behold, again, my my Old Testament professor used to say this. He said, when you see behold, that's like the Bible saying, looky, really, take a look. The women are rushing back. They're going to tell the disciples that Jesus is alive, and the risen Savior meets them on the way. That's pretty cool, right? This is Jesus. This is not a ghost. This is not a spirit. This is not a vision. The actual risen, embodied Son of God is standing right there. And Jesus looks at the women and says, greetings. And it's, it's kind of too bad that we don't really have the, the, the level of formality, informality that's here. Because greetings is right. But that's barely, that's barely kind enough because Jesus' greeting to these women is very informal. It's really like Jesus walked up to these women who are running back and says, Hey there! The first human encounter that the Savior has with his followers after his resurrection begins with a kind, friendly, Hey, what's up? 
Very sweet, very kind, very gentle. But the women respond, they're so overjoyed. They take hold of Jesus. They bow down before him. They grab his feet because they just, they're overjoyed to see him. And they can't believe they can touch him. And they don't believe it. And they, they don't want to let go. And they worship Jesus. Now, worship is a pretty important word in the Christian life. Right? Most literally, to worship is to bow down before someone. It's taking action to demonstrate that the one before you is greater and you're lesser. That he's the master, you're the servant. That he's the king, you're the subject. Thus, any action that a Christian takes in obedience to the command of God, any action that we take to obey God's commands in response to God's revelation of himself can be worship. If we perform acts that do homage to God as our God, acts that show that we are submitted to Jesus as king, we worship. That could be singing, even if the songs are or are not your style. It can be praying. It can be giving. All of that can be worship, can't it? It can be listening to the sermon and responding to God in repentance. It can be following God's command to be baptized. It can be receiving Lord's Supper. But you know what else worship can be? Worship can be remaining faithful to your spouse for 50 years. Worship can be changing a child's diapers, cooking a meal for somebody in need, or sharing the gospel with somebody who should hear. If what you do honors Jesus, shows Jesus as Lord, fulfills the commands that Jesus has given, you're worshiping. Well, as the women worship Jesus, he speaks to them words of comfort. Do not be afraid. Just carry the message back to the disciples. Notice Jesus calls the disciples what? My brothers. He still calls these men family. Do you remember that over the weekend, they failed about as royally as anybody could fail. They abandoned Jesus. They denied ever knowing Jesus. They hid. But you know what? These guys need to know Jesus is alive. They need to hear the good news. And Jesus wants these women to go tell. He echoes the angel's words. I'm going to go up to Galilee here in a little bit. We'll have a large group gathering there. It'll be about a month from now, give or take. But they got to get the ball rolling. they got to gather this group for the risen Jesus to speak to before he leaves the earth. Now, before you and I move on, though, let's think about the point here. Worship Jesus. It is very significant that these women worship Jesus and that Jesus allows them to do so. Why? Well, I, I think this will help. 
Why don't you worship me? I am not even close. He's not joking. I'm nowhere close to worthy. I'm not God. And it would be an utter huge sin were you to worship me. Do you remember the Ten Commandments? Number one and number two teach us that we are to have no other gods before the true God and we are to bow down and worship no created thing. It is the ultimate dishonor to God to worship someone or something that is not God. And it would be the ultimate of impropriety for you to allow someone to worship you if you are not God. Even angels know, don't let people worship me, right? Revelation 19, verse 10, John, before an angel, says, he says, then I fell down before his feet to worship him, the angel. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. That's what the angel said. Now, we've got a major question to ask. Jesus accepts the worship of these women. Was Jesus confused? Was Jesus blaspheming God? Or is Jesus, as Jesus has always claimed, God in the flesh? Well, what proves the answer for us? Jesus' resurrection is all the proof we could ever need to make us understand that Jesus is God in the flesh. Thus, worshiping Jesus, who not only rose from the grave, but taught the glory of God, who did miracles like no one ever has done before or since, who laid down his life and all the rest and paid for our sins and rose again. Worshiping Jesus is absolutely appropriate. Worshiping Jesus, in fact, is the purpose of your existence as a human being. There's no question for the Christian, what am I here for? Worship Jesus. That's what you're here for, worship Jesus. How? Every way he tells you. But we also know that not everybody is going to believe in or worship Jesus. And our fifth point shows us somebody there. Let's call point five this. Believe the truth or believe a lie. Believe the truth. That's the one you want to do, by the way. Or believe a lie. 11 through 15 says, While they, the women, were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. So while the women ran in joy down the path that led to Jesus and salvation, there were those who took another path 
on that resurrection Sunday morning. The guards realized what had just happened. But the guards, they were soldiers. They realized that what had just happened was way above their pay grade. So they ran to the priests, the people that had sent them to the tomb, to the religious leaders. And the guards told these men exactly what had happened. They gave evidence to the priests that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then an angel of God confirmed that Jesus had risen from the dead. Well, what would the religious do? Remember Friday afternoon, the religious leaders mockingly claimed that if Jesus would come down from the cross, they would believe? Well, here Jesus has done something a lot greater than coming down from the cross. He came out of the tomb. And the religious leaders, they get together and they have a little meeting and they make a decision. They decide that they cannot allow people to believe in the resurrection of Jesus as if they could do something to prevent that. They give a large bribe to the soldiers to get them to claim that oh, we all just took a nap. And, and while we had fallen asleep in the middle of the night, the disciples tippy-toed around us and snatched the body of Jesus out of that tomb. And the soldiers, by the way, they are aware of the fact that for them to claim that they fell asleep on their post actually could earn them the death penalty for neglect of duty. But the priests say, look, we'll smooth things over and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers, pockets jingling with the cash from bribes, start telling folks that the disciples stole Jesus from the tomb while they were sleeping. And Matthew said that story persisted for years. Now, in truth, that story is ridiculous. The disciples were too scared on Thursday night to stand with Jesus in the garden. No way were these men going to risk going after a guarded tomb just to grab a dead body so they could perpetrate a hoax. Honestly, are you willing to believe that a whole group of soldiers who knew they could die for falling asleep on duty would have all chosen to take a nap at the crucial moment? Is it even feasible to believe that the soldiers were so soundly asleep that they could not be awakened by a boulder being rolled away, a body being unwrapped, and a group of men carrying away a naked corpse? By the way, does it make any sense to believe that the disciples would have taken the time with sleeping soldiers right outside the door to unwrap a body so they could carry it away because it would be much easier to carry if it were still wrapped? Or silliest of all, this may be my favorite. Are you really willing to believe that soldiers who tell us they were asleep can then also tell us that they know exactly what happened while they were sleeping? <laughs> the truth is simple. When faced with the truth, you've got a choice to make. You either choose to believe the truth or you willingly choose to believe a lie. Here we have recorded for us a lie that is easy to detect. And the question comes to every last one of us today. Will you believe the truth or will you believe a lie? Now, if you believe the lie, you're free to go on living however you see fit. But 
If you believe Jesus is dead, know that there is no hope for any human being to find forgiveness. There is no ground for anything like human morality. There is no way any person could ever be good enough to please God to make up for their wrongs. There is no way that you can have hope. Every person is hopeless and helpless if we buy the lie. But if you believe the truth, if you believe the truth that Jesus is alive, it lays upon you a responsibility. Jesus is God who took on flesh. Jesus lived, died, and rose again. Jesus claims to be the only way for you to be forgiven by God. He claims to be the Lord. If he is who he says he is, you must believe him. And if you believe him, you must surrender your very life to him. Turn from sin, come to Jesus for mercy. I urge you, believe in the Lord Jesus today. Well, the climactic moment in Matthew's recounting of the life of Jesus comes in the fact that Jesus is alive. Matthew reminds us God is holy. And that causes us to tremble. But Jesus is alive, which gives us great joy and calls us to rejoice. Jesus is the way for us to be forgiven and to become children of God. And the resurrection proves that Jesus is everything he ever claimed to be. And we want to take that good news. We want to carry that good news of salvation in Jesus to the rest of the world. We want to let that good news lead us to worship Jesus. And we want to help other people turn away from the lies of the foolish men around them and find truth, find life in the truth of the fact that is so, so significant. Jesus is alive. Let's pray together. Lord, one thing I confess is this. There is still no way I can communicate in my finite means the immense glory of the truth that Jesus is alive. And what I would ask you to do, Lord, is take this feeble, sin-laden effort. Cleanse it by your Spirit. Make it enough to benefit people, to glorify you, to put on display your majesty. There are people here who need to repent. There are people here who need to believe. There are people who need life in the Savior. God, I would ask you, take our lives from wherever they are, whether we're believers who are sitting here going, I know all this stuff, but I'm glad I heard it, to a non-believer wrestling with the faith. Take our lives and do with them as you will. Help us to honor Jesus in all our ways this day. Save souls, bring repentance, bring forgiveness, 
Strengthen lives. Be magnified. We pray it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.